what are your pillars um, within the locker room that you're planning on instilling so that it'll be a locker room that you can be proud of down the road? You want to push them, but you don't want to push them away. I don't want guys coming into the office in the morning dreading it. It's going to be fun, but they're also, I'm going to be honest with them and I'm going to hold them accountable and I'm going to tell them when I think they didn't do a good job. And I'll tell them when I don't, when I think I didn't do a good job. I'm pretty honest and I'm not afraid of confrontation, but they're going to get a lot of love too. And that voice you heard was Scott Milanovic. Welcome to the Waggle. You're going to hear more from that voice later on this episode. And now the dust is starting to settle in terms of free agency. We can start to finally figure out how teams are going to look as they head into the 2024 season. A couple of things uh, we will discuss on this episode. Myself and Enoch, who... Are you back for a while? You're going to be here for a minute? I'm, I'm back for a little bit, man. Okay. I'm here. Right. But I'm here. I'll be moving around, but I'm here. Okay. All right. I'm here. Okay. That's too much to ask just for you to be here. You have to be moving around and be here. Uh, <laughs> but that's kind of like what free agency has been like. It's been reported that the top free agent on most people's list, who was still on the market, is now no longer officially signed with the team. More on that in a minute. We're going to look at the team's Grey Cup odds. And there has been some movement in that respect during free agency. We'll break that down and get Enoch's analysis of it. And as I mentioned, we've got an interview with Scott Milanovic, new head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, that you won't want to miss. Good way to make sure you don't miss anything as well. One, continue to listen. But two, subscribe. Make sure you're subscribing to The Waggle wherever you are. And check us out on YouTube because this is an audio experience, but we're good looking guys. You want to see us in the flesh. Speaking of uh, seeing things in the flesh, I had an appreciation, Enoch. Talk to me. For uh, early education childcare workers. Because I had to actually parent for a prolonged period. Uh, depending on where you are in this country, you know what I'm talking about. To those in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and us here in Ontario, and if we even go farther east, New Brunswick, uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, your family day and the long weekend. Term enjoy is is doing a lot of work in that sentence because for me, it was just uh, any series that ends at a kick is a good one. Yeah, Whether yeah. it's punt, we, we got to just punt and regroup, uh, or if it's field goal or, or maybe an extra point. I, I, there's a lot of punting uh, in terms of what can we do now? What's open? Where can we go? Is there a community center free that's doing some face painting? Uh, what are we going to do to keep these kids relatively happy uh, and not stressing me out? How was your family day? Oh, family day was great. Uh, we had an even extended long weekend because we uh, we took the kids to Las Vegas. Uh, our oldest, actually, she's she competes two years ahead. She's six and she competes with seven, eight-year-olds. At what? She, gymnastics. And there was a competition in Las Vegas? There was a competition in Las Vegas. She's not old enough to compete in Canada, but um, her club got her into a competition that they were in in Las Vegas and made it a family trip. And I'll tell you what, five-hour trip with three beautiful girls, six, three, and one, is um, not for the faint of heart. I'll just say that. And uh, you talk about punting, there was lots of that. Let's just make it there. How about that? There's lots of places I'd want to go with children. Yes. Las Vegas is, uh, uh, we try to find some stuff. Children's Museum, you know, play places. 
um, swimming pools. They enjoyed their time. They had lots of fun. And we stayed away from the strip. That's for sure. And they, uh, <laughs> they are marketing Vegas as a family destination. And low-key, I have heard from people there that there are many things to do for families at uh, Las Vegas. I believe their slogan now is everything happens here. And I do enjoy me some Las Vegas. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'll be traveling there. Don't get it wrong. It is still Sin City. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Uh, Tim White uh, might be celebrating in Las Vegas. He decided to roll the dice in free agency and looks like he's going to be running it back in Hamilton. We talked about it in a previous episode. He was the best available still on the market. Now it looks like the two-time All-Star in just three seasons in the league, mind you, is going back. Led the league in receiving last year with 1,269. They call him Himothy, but I think the interesting thing about this and maybe why it took a while for the deal to get done in terms of you know where do you see the evaluation of the player is there still might be some room for improvement there. Some might be some growth there, new offense, hopefully some consistency in play and health at the quarterback position, which he has not benefited from his entire career in Hamilton. What do you foresee as what his growth might look like uh, in Hamilton under this deal? Listen, Tim Tim White is a, a, a really, really good, one of the better receivers in this league. And, and I say this not just because he has great hands. He can pretty much run every route on the route tree. Um, he is an intellectual receiver. But more than that, he is an amazing teammate and, and, and a great leader. He's the type of guy you want to have in your locker room and uh, you want to have guys kind of mimic their game after. You want to have guys watch their game and um, you know try to emulate. And so that's the reason why the Hamilton Tigers, in my opinion, have to do everything that they can in their power to keep him in the locker room. You talk about the growth, the improvement that he's capable of of, of having over this uh, the upcoming season. Guess what? Yes, he's already one of the better receivers in this league, and. This season, he's only going to get better, one, because of the experience, but two, the possibility of having a stable quarterback from the beginning until the end of the season is going to be a huge uh, support and help for him as far as not just his production, but his impact on every single game that he plays. Son's a two-year deal, which I think is important to note. The team gets more than one year of the player and some assurance. He's 29. So theoretically, this age 31 year, he will have another kick at the can, assuming he's still playing at that level. Um, when you look at some of the other big-time receivers that have signed over the last couple of years, Dalton Schoen, this offseason, 28. Geno Lewis, 30. So in that window of this will probably be your last or second last contract where the number continues to go up. Mm-hmm. After that, if you're blessed to still play, you can play. That number is going to start to come down. It's going to start to decrease. But he is well within the prime of his career right now. And um, like you said, I don't think we've seen the best of Tim White yet. And he's only going to get better. Well, someone who surely hopes we haven't seen the best of him yet. And 
I think a big reason why he's the head coach of the Tire Cats is because of his ability to get the most out of offensive skill players is Scott Milanovic, former Argos head coach, rejoined the CFL in 2023, was named the Ticats head coach in their restructure this offseason. There's a lot been going on with the Ticats in the front office and on the field. We caught up with his new boss in Tigertown a few weeks ago. So take a listen to that conversation and stay tuned because after that, we're going to break down the Great Cup odds post-free agency and a team of interest is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But first, Scott Milanovich on the web. Coach Milanovich, welcome to the Waggle. Um, and, and and I feel like someone needs to do this and say this as well. Welcome back to the CFL. It's always good. The league is always better with you in it. Um, I have a cool question about that. Like you took a little hiatus, you know, away from the league, and and you coming back. What have you seen? Have you seen any evolution, any changes to the game, or you feel like it's a little still similar to what you know, and, and you feel comfortable back to where you are? Yeah, no, it's great to be back. Um, I missed it. Uh, Canada's kind of our, our second home. My girls were pretty much brought up there uh, between Montreal and Toronto. And as far as the, the league's changing, I think it's evolved, particularly uh, defensively. Uh, I think a lot of the coverages you're seeing, the pressures, uh, you know, the Every team is a great defensive coordinator, and um, I think it's it's tougher to, to score points and get explosive plays than it used to be. So um, us guys on the offensive side are going to have to pick up our game. Well, I love that. And I, I love, you know, in Toronto, certainly your offense with a passer so accurate is Ricky. You, you really use the width of the field uh, to your advantage, and you, you, you built in scenarios that made the defense wrong, that made them make a choice, and then you were going to make him pay for it. Given some of the changes you've seen defensively and you know some of the simulated pressures, the way the game is going defensively to kind of get you, you know, maybe sped up a little bit, uh, have you at all had to make changes in your offensive system, your offensive philosophies? Yeah, I think I have. I, I, you know, I think my time down, down south – Exposed me to some some different offenses. When I was in the CFL, uh, you know, I was with Mark in Montreal for all those years and then basically took his offense, kind of made it my own, and really wasn't exposed to other things uh, until I went down to Jacksonville and, and then to Indianapolis, and I learned a lot more football. Um, I think the biggest change is, you know, some of the things that I've learned down there, but then in addition with, again, the coverages that you're seeing that are trying to keep offenses from getting explosive passes, I think – uh, being balanced is is more critical than ever. Being able to run the ball and make them fit gaps, I think, is more critical than ever. And then once you do that a little bit, I think you got a better opportunity to throw the ball. Well, I, I, it's funny because a lot of that is, you know, the personality of the, the play caller, personality of the quarterback. And you had someone in Ricky who would be willing to take what the defense gave him and, and was accurate down the field. Bo, historically, is someone who's got off the bus trying to make the explosive play and read high to low. Uh, when you coach him, but really just you know modern-day quarterbacks who want to make a play to put on Instagram, what is the approach given the way defenses are set up? Well, there's going to be a time and a place for that for sure. Uh, and I love that about Bo. When we have a – we're going to have a hard and fast read, all right? And this is the read and this is what we're going to do. We're not going to come back to the sideline and say, well, I know the read was this, but I saw this. That, that's not going to happen. There will be built-in 
opportunities for Bo to take shots when the defense aligns in a certain coverage. And and I love the fact that Bo likes to do that. But, you know, with defenses getting so good, with their ability to rush the passer, you don't want to be in second and long. And to do that, you've got to pick and choose, I believe, when you take your shots and you got to get completions. And that takes the pressure off your offensive linemen. It takes pressure off everybody. It takes, keeps the defense off the field. So, um, yeah, Bowden and I just need some time together. And uh, I still think he can play at a very, very high level, obviously. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to working with him. Coach, you, I have a question that I think you are probably the most qualified to answer. And, and this is perfect because we're talking about you know, apples to apples, because we're talking about all really Hall of Fame quarterbacks, right? I'm talking about Anthony Calvillo. I'm talking about Ricky Ray, um, Bo Levi Mitchell, who's a future Hall of Famer, even if he called it a career today. What are some of the similarities in, in the little bit of time that you, you know, you've, you, you spent with Bo that, you know, you've seen in the former Hall of Famers that you've coached? Yeah, all three of those guys are, are very different. Um, AC, I spent a year with AC when, when Jim Pop was the head coach before Mark came in. Um, AC was at a point in his career where he was willing to do anything you asked him to do. And when Mark got there specifically, he gravitated so much to the just straight, pure progression. Tell me my read. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. And I'm going to not going to think about anything else. And it was really pretty easy with AC because he was just so open to it. Not that the other guys aren't Ricky. When I got him, it took me a while. It took, it took us maybe half a season that year that Ricky had never had check downs. Ricky is another one coming from Edmonton that was always trying to throw it deep. And, and again, you love it, but you've got to stay on the field and you got to keep yourself out of bad situations. So I, I think Bo and Ricky have some similarities from that aspect. I just don't know that they've been, you know, I don't know that they were exposed. Um, I, I don't know how Dave taught it in, in Calgary. You know, that's I, I know Dave's a great coach and he's had a ton of success with quarterbacks and a ton of success as a head coach. But um, our systems are probably a little different. There's more than one way to skin a cat. I, I think Bo's ability to he's first of all, he's a very vocal, exceptional leader. He loves ball. He's highly, highly intelligent. He knows the game. Um He's seen it all, uh, but we just need time together to kind of sort out sort out what I think he can do best uh, and, and kind of get in conjunction with, with what he thinks he can do best. You know, everyone talks about, you know, QB1, uh, but really if you want to have a good organization, really a good league, you got to develop those other spots in the QB room. We talk about it on this podcast all the time that – it's wild that in Toronto at one time, uh, you know, given a mandate by Jim Barker to develop future quarterbacks, that you had Ricky Ray and Zach Caleros and Trevor Harris. Uh, when you look at developing young cues, giving the opportunity to get better, maybe without reps, uh, what does that look like? And how important is that given some of the great Hall of Famers are, are, have now you know, moved on? Yeah, I think it's critical. I think it's even more critical nowadays. I was talking about it with somebody earlier, NFL, CFL, whatever. Quarterbacks are not staying healthy, and so you need more than one. Um, you know, like the in respect to to Trevor and and Zach, and you know, Jason Moss was my quarterback coach early when I was there. They did a lot of extra work after practice. Um, we did a great job, I thought. Jim Barker specifically did a great job of 
when we would clinch a playoff spot, we would rest Ricky. And so those guys got live game action a lot of times in week 18 um, for really for both Zach and Trevor the year before, um, you know, they actually got a chance to, to play a bunch of games because, because Rick got hurt for, for both of those cases. But, um, you know, we do little things. They're always talking. Um, we do little things like make them stand behind the huddle and, and when the play's on and they're not in there, they're doing their drop. They're making their read. They're pointing to the receiver that, that they're throwing to so that they can kind of get reps when, when they're not actually in the game. And, and we can see that on the end zone film, right? So I, I can coach them off of that. And, uh, but, you know, it really comes down to guys, how much talent do they have? How, how smart are they? How accurate are they? And, um, you know, we haven't hit on all of them, but those guys for sure were good ones. Coach, I, I can only – well, I, I can imagine, and I've been in situations <clears throat> as a player in the locker room where, you know, coach comes halfway through the season like you did last year and the challenge that it is to kind of, you know, keep some of the old system and not change too much and still implement some of the, your philosophies and uh, as far as play style – that's challenging in and of itself, but now having a fresh start with a whole new season and, and, and a new position and, and being able to kind of call the shots and kind of direct the team in the direction that you see fit. We always talk about process in football. This stage of the process, what is it like for you right now with the Hamilton Tiger Cats? I've been working hard to get the staff uh, solidified. We're one guy away from, from being done, so that, that process is pretty much over. Um, starting to get into personnel discussions a lot more, obviously free agency coming up. Who do we want to keep, you know, is going to affect maybe who we potentially would go after both a free agency uh, and in the draft. Um, as far as X's and O's we've started. So the, the offense, you know, we'll be changing the system, right? So when I got there last year, you can't just change the system verbiage, all those things mid season. And so um, we're working on that as a staff right now, we're meeting, actually meeting tomorrow morning. So, um, that's kind of where we're at. There's a lot, a lot of moving parts at this point. Um, it's fun kind of getting into the personnel. I, I have a you know good relationship with most of the guys on offense. I didn't know many of the the guys on defense just because <laughs> by the time I got there, it was such a whirlwind that you know I was pretty much on the offensive side of the ball. But I know some of those guys. It's been fun to reach out to some of those guys and, and start talking to them here this past week. Those are some of the tangibles, but you know, leading there's a lot of intangibles. And you know, as you come in, you've had a coach that's been there and a voice that's been singular for a while. And you come in and you, you don't want the aspect of like, you know, this is my stepdad, not my dad. Now you're talking to the whole uh, organization. You know, as a coach, how do you read the room, read the locker room, and understand what it needs? Maybe what what has worked that you don't want to change, and and, and make sure you kind of bring them together moving forward. Well. Uh, Oh, and I have such a close relationship. I think that's that's going to help everything. I, I believe in him and and the foundation that he has set. Um, having said that, he and I are, are very different. I can't be him, and he can't be me. So I'll go in being me, and then I'll read I'll read the room after that. And so uh, there's going to be some things as as a team, as a staff, that are non negotiable, and there will be some things that are and. Um, you know, it's, it's a group effort. It's a, it's a journey that we're all on to on, on together. Um, and I'll, and I'll take some, some input from those guys, players I'm talking about, obviously coaches as well, but, um, yeah, we just, uh, I'll start being me and, and we'll go from there. As a guy who's taken, you know, the helm of this team and coach O's done a great job already of establishing uh, a certain culture. And, and you talk about the differences between the two, 
you mentioned foundation, you talked about, you know, non-negotiables. What are maybe two of your pillars um, within the locker room that you're planning on on instilling so that it'll be a locker room that you can be proud of down the road? Well, I think a lot of them, uh, like I said, are already kind of built in. You know, accountability, that was that was a big thing for, for Coach O. Um, vision, accelerated vision, preparation, all these things are, are, are important. Um, in terms of what might be different, uh, you know, I believe – I believe that I, I need to push them. I, I know from a player's perspective, even as a coach, I've told people this before. When I when I coached for in Jacksonville, and Tom Coughlin was basically the football czar over the whole thing, and there was pressure applied to all of us all the time, and it gets the best out of you. Now, I think there's a fine line there, right? I think Andy Reid's done a great job at it. You want to push them, but you don't want to push them away. Um, I don't want guys coming into the office in the morning you know, dreading it. It's going to be, it's going to be fun, but they're, they're also, I'm, I'm going to be honest with them and I'm going to be hold them accountable. And I'm going to tell them when I think they didn't do a good job. And I'll tell them when I don't, when I think I didn't do a good job. So, um, that's just kind of my style. That's just, uh, I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty honest and, and I'm not afraid of confrontation, but they're going to get a lot of love too. Uh, you talk about your style. Some coaches, their style is just hand me the roster, just hand me the keys, and I'll coach. Others, and, and I would say you are more of the Elku involved in the draft process, involved in free agency, want to holistically be a part of it. But you, as you've mentioned, you've been away for a bit, so there's a learning curve in terms of personnel around the league. I imagine you haven't been digging deep in U Sports three techniques over the last couple of years. So what's that learning curve for you in terms of I, I want to have my – my fingerprints on it, but I also want to put people in position to help me. Yeah. I think in terms of U sports, I, I don't think that's going to have changed all that much. And because even in the past, when I was involved in the draft, it wasn't really until January, February, like during the season, I wasn't doing much of that. And you just trust your personnel guys. Really. And I think that the place probably that I'm behind is personnel within the league. Um, like free agents and things like that. Ed, Ed and his staff will, are, are going to do a great job. They already are doing a great job of, you know, getting my eyes on guys that they think I need to be seeing and guys that are potential uh, uh, targets for us. Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of how I'm going to catch up is just by trusting them. They, they know, you know, we've had conversations. They know what I would like to have. And I always understand that, you know, as a coach, you're not going to get everything you want, but um, they, they know what I'm looking for. And so they're they're able to put the guys in front of my in front of my eyes that um, that they think might fit. Because we, we missed each other on, you know, in Montreal just by a little bit and Toronto just by a little bit as well. And, and, and I feel like when I look at, you know, the evolution of my career, you know, and the people that I've played with and really the greats, you know that the, the ones that are the greats, they focus on the things that they do well, but they also try to improve on, on small things to continue for the, uh, to continue to get better. For you in particular, what are some of the things that you would say as we look at the evolution of your coaching style and, and, and who you are as a, as a person and a coach? What are some of the things that maybe like an AC would be surprised to know about the person and the coach that you've become today? Hmm. That's a good question. I think, you, you know, I think we all grow. When I was younger, I was, you know, when I got the job in Toronto, I was 38. And, you know, all it was all football all the time. 
for me. That was it. That was the relationships weren't as important, uh, you know, particularly in the office. It was, to me, it was all about ball and watching film and in the play. And I think as you get older and you understand more what this role means to other people within the organization, to players, uh, you know, the, the impact that you can have on players when they're having a, a difficult time. I think I've grown in, in that aspect as far as being understanding, ha having an ear uh, and an open door that, that guys feel like they can come in and, and talk about problems or, or celebrations or whatever the case may be. And I think that makes everybody in the building just enjoy their time a little bit more. I, I think all that happens, I guess, a little bit as, as you grow and mature. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest difference that that AC would for sure see from when, from when he knew me in my time in Montreal. And lastly, before I let you go, given that perspective, if there's one thing, whether it's a, a rule or infrastructure thing, about the league that you think I mean, we should we should think about tweaking this. We should change this. This is something I've talked to other people about, and I think we'd be best positioned if we went this direction. What would it be? I'm in the minority, probably. I've never been a big fan of replay. Um, because I think it's I think it's difficult. It puts people in in a difficult situation. Uh, I don't want to talk about it too much because I don't know what the fine situation is. <laughs> I've expressed it before. I, I preferred it the old way where we just kind of lived and died with the call that was made on the field and, and went from there. But um, that was kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. Interesting. Not what I thought you would say. Um, what do you think I was going to say? Well, I don't know. Maybe they, like, you know, you couldn't just like tap the the football against your foot and get a fresh set of downs or something like that. He's an offensive guy. <laughs> wow. He might like that. Wow. <laughs> I'm an offensive guy and I hate that. But no, I just, because when you're in it and you are grinding and watching the film and thinking of processes and putting, you know, 10,000 of hours in it, you know, you, you think you'd be more apt to making sure that we, we get it right and that everyone is accountable. So I, I'm surprised that that's your... The way you went there, but I'm, I'm glad we asked the question. Coaches find it difficult, or some coaches find it difficult to know how it's going to be ruled. That's that's the difficult thing. Well, uh, you now get uh, the ability as the head coach to stress over it uh, this upcoming year and uh, and time your challenge flags uh, appropriately. Uh, but this has been a blast. All the best, and welcome back once again. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks once again to Scott Milanovic for joining. And he's had some additions to his team in free agency. And I assume the market loves the fact that he's the head coach because their free agency odds have gone up more than anyone else in the league. We'll go through it. For those listening, we'll be reading you some FanDuel betting odds. If you were to place a futures bet on a team to win the Great Cup, the lower the number, the more likely FanDuel thinks that team will win the Great Cup, meaning if you were correct, it would pay less than a longer shot. Got it? Good. Uh, there was not a lot of significant change following free agency, as there really shouldn't be considering the Great Cup is not necessarily won in free agency. That's something I want to talk to you about, Enoch. But there were some surprising changes, or for me, actually, lack of change. The Argos are still the FanDuel favorites to win the 111th Great Cup in Vancouver, with no change in their odds at plus 230 falling free agency that saw a lot of big names leave town. The only teams that improve their odds, meaning are more likely to win the Great Cup falling free agency, are Winnipeg 
Hamilton in Ottawa, with the Ticats having the biggest change for the good. They improved by 200, going from plus 1,200 to plus 1,000. The defending champs in Montreal were tied with BC prior to free agency as third most likely to win it this year. Following free agency, however, they slipped to fourth, while BC's odds didn't move at all. The only other team who has worse odds following free agency is Edmonton, who Enoch, you said last week, you would see as a playoff team. Now, obviously, making the playoffs, winning Grey Cup, entirely different things. But however, uh, Enoch, if you are a betting man and you were just in Vegas, uh, would you be taking those odds at plus 1,500 right now? Looking at the most surprising to you, both in the negative and positive, what jumps out to you? Absolutely. So I think three things stand out and jump right out to me when I'm looking at the screen, I'm looking at the the, the standings here, or even just the odds. Uh, You talked about the Edmonton Elks. I told you, and I completely believe, and I will repeat again what I said last week, and if you didn't hear it, you got to go back, but I truly believe that the the Edmonton Elks are Playoff team for sure. Some other fans in the West did not like that. Yeah, look, they, were, they got in the mentions on the IG post. I, I I did see it. I did see it, but it's the reality of the situation. I say this, look. Oh, Enoch, you're just saying that because your guy, your friend, your former teammate, McLeod Bethel Thompson is now the court. No, that's not the only reason why. He is not just a good player. He's not just a great player. He's not just a talented player in this league, in my opinion. He is a type of player that brings a lot more value than just what he does on the field. He is a difference maker. He is a leader that influences, that galvanizes a team. And that is the reason why I think that he is going to change a lot of things there in Edmonton. And so I'm excited to see exactly what they do. And they will respond to the fans in the in the West who were in the comments this past week. And so I think that the Edmonton Elks, I don't know if they're going to win the Great Cup, but for sure, I don't think they belong in the basement of this uh, of these standings. And so that's the, the first thing. The second thing is this. I, I, I'll have to say as well, when you look at the, the list, the defending champions, they didn't have a great start last year, but because of the simple fact that they are going to be, there's, there wasn't too many changes that happened in Montreal. This is a team that one won the Great Cup, but also grew so much over the course of the season. And I think that they're only going to grow even more over the offseason and beginning of next year. They're a completely different team than they were at the beginning of last year. And I think they're going to get better from the Great Cup. I think that they're going to be a team that is going to be competitive for the simple fact that they've gone through a lot together. And a lot of those guys are coming back and they know how to play with each other a lot better. I don't know if they're going to repeat, but they should be a little bit higher than that. Can we give them a little bit of respect? They won the Great Cup last year, DB. So that's the second thing. And the last thing, it might shock a few people. But I don't know about the Toronto Argonauts at 230 and being at the top. I'm just saying. I'm being real. I know. I know. Enoch, you played for the Argos. It's true. It's true. I'm not saying that they won't necessarily uh, be competitive next year. I'm not saying that they don't have a chance at winning the Great Cup. That's not what I'm saying, DB. What I'm saying is a simple fact that you can't go off of a 16-2. and There's a reason why over the course of, what, 110 years, it's only happened twice that a team went 16-2. and 
Plus, losing Corey Mace as a defensive coordinator to me is going to have a larger impact that than uh, people at FanDuel clearly think. And um, there's going to be some growing pains. That's just the reality of the situation. They're going to have to find their way. Defensively speaking, at least, it's almost like it's a whole new system. It's almost like there's going to be a lot of changes because multiple guys on that defense have moved on, have transitioned, and are on different teams right now. So there's going to be some changes. There's going to be some growing pains. So uh, are they not going to be competitive? That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe that it'll gonna, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a work in progress for the Toronto Argonauts next year. Note the date. Note <laughs> the time. Enoch Mwamba said something somewhat critical of the Toronto <laughs> Are you trying to tell me this is the first time I've said anything critical of Toronto Argonauts? I'm not trying to tell you. Producer P. I am telling you. Yeah, this is the first time. No way. And you also said you played for the Argos, so... When did I say that? Do you not play for the Argos? When did I say that? You said I I used to play for the Argos. No, I play for the Argos. People can scrub that. (laughs) People can scrub that. You can say what you want. To the technicalities. I I think you're correct. There's a couple things that stand out to me. That would be one. Number one, the last time we saw your team, you got waxed by the team that's fourth on this list. M- Montreal, this province of Quebec, felt a type of way at the end of the year about how they were disrespected, how they were worst in the power rankings to start the year. Don't come at us this year. It's not us. You can bring that talk to FanDuel because <laughs> I don't have no understanding how, one, they're four, uh, Two, they're behind Toronto. They brought back essentially their team in terms of everyone they wanted to. Outside of, you know, you can make an argument their backfield is going to look a little bit different, but that's a position of depth. But uh, quite as kept, one of the signings I love is Dylan Wynn. I think that is a real signing and a real attitude uh, signing for that team and that defense. So Montreal, not only... Are they fourth? They started at plus 650. They decreased to plus 700. So don't understand how they got worse in free agency. Number two, the R goes flat. So basically, are you telling me that Jamal Peters and AJ Gillette and Adarius Pickett and Javon Leak and, I mean, I know you have another kicker, but Boris Beattie, like all of those guys don't move the needle. Dwayne Hendricks, that's right. All those guys that you lost. You, you can make an argument. Your best DB. Oh, and you losing lost. the defensive corner. You have to mention that. You, you can. You, you, let's go through the list. I'll say this, so you don't have to. You can make an argument. Your best coach. You lost. Your best special teams players. Plural. Gone. You, you lost them. Turner and kicker. Your best DB. You lost. I, I'm not going to fix my lips and say that Winnie McManus is not your best linebacker. But the guy who is up on stage, potentially winning an award at CF Awards as a linebacker, you lost. Your best running back, you lost. So I just don't know how you could say that they're flat. Unless, you know, I like Tunde Adelke as much as the next guy. But unless you think he is replacing all of that, Jake Stresden is replacing all of that, it's tough to see. So I that one I didn't understand. The other one... I didn't understand if I'm being honest, was Saskatchewan. We can make an argument should they be plus 1,200 or not, whatnot. You can't make an argument that they should be flat 
relative to where they were before free agency. I'm about to ask you if winning free agency matters. So we can table that conversation. But that's an entirely different conversation to if it should impact the odds because they brought better players in the building in free agency. So how could the numbers stay flat? Yeah, I, I totally don't agree with that either. Um, it Jameer Thurman's the not moving the needle. The, it would 100% Malik Carney's been the not fourth the on the list. AJ Alette's not moving the needle. That's going to change a lot of things over there in Saskatchewan. So I don't understand either why it, it, it did not change as far as the the the, the standings right there. But um, they should definitely be a little bit higher. So it, here's my last question for you before we wrap today. We do this every year. We've talked about it. Who who won free agency, so on and so forth. Last year, you know who a lot of people won free agency? Talk to us. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Oh, Trevor Harris. Oh, my goodness. They got an upgrade at the position. Cody Fajardo, get out of here. We don't need him. Well, Cody Fajardo ended the year on stage with an MVP trophy and a great cup. And maybe if Harris is upright all year, we have a different outlook on the team. Maybe their coaching staff is still... In place, but that's not what happened. It could be a little overrated to win free agency. You know who didn't win free agency last couple of years? Winnipeg. You know who was good? Winnipeg. But I do think Saskatchewan has made lots of improvements to build on what they did uh, a year ago. Overrated or underrated? It, it, do we put too much stock in winning the offseason? Uh, I, I, because the other aspect of it, is what well, fans listen we appreciate the views the clicks the impressions the conversation it's what drives the league but what no one is rating is oh man our scouting staff they went and they got us a, a field corner so that we can move our field corner to to the boundary half they went and they got us a rotational pass rusher so that we can keep our starters a little bit fresh we don't evaluate the guys coming into the league because we just don't know those names. We don't. We don't. We, we don't know there's those names, but also we don't know how they'll perform once they step on a CFL field. So it's always hard to tell when you look at it from that perspective because there are been, there have been some guys, big name guys who have come to the CFL DB and 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 you would think you would you would think that they would have the same amount of success that they may have had previously, whether it's college football, whether it's NFL and it didn't necessarily translate. So it's always hard to, uh, uh, you know, predict what's going to happen when you're bringing a guy that hasn't played in the CFL in the, uh, before. However, when you talk about free agency, you know what you're getting in the, in the specific guy. Now, you, you've seen the history, you've seen what they've done. And so when they come to a new team, you can kind of predict that what they have done is likely what's going to happen at least now. There's still some, uh, you know, variables as far as coaching staff, as coaching game plans and whatnot. So yes, there are still some some variables out there. But at the for at the very least, you have an idea of what kind of player is coming on board and what they have done and what they're capable of doing um, in the CFL. And plus, experience is one of those things that you can't really teach. So I think that to answer your question. Uh, it's not necessarily overrated, but it's definitely something that you absolutely have to pay attention to in the offseason. I think the lesson is ultimately the biggest thing is what you do with the player. You have the best ingredients in the world. If you don't follow the recipe, you're not going to cook a great meal. Last couple of years, the teams who have dominated in free agency in the West, Saskatchewan and Edmonton, 
there was no translation to that being good football. However, the team, in my estimation, the last couple of years who dominated free agency in the East, the Toronto Argonauts, there was a translation to how they played football. So it's one thing to win free agency. It's another thing to have a plan for what you're going to do with those players when you get them. But that's what makes this part of the year fun because everybody was undefeated. Everybody was grading themselves an A and saying they got exactly what they wanted to do done in the offseason. But we'll find out when the balls are kicked. Uh, We will continue to break this down. And sometimes the best signings are the ones that happen late Mm -hmm. when those signings uh, come to you. Uh, We'll continue to break that down for you every week because there is no offseason for us when it comes to the CFL. We've got the discussion that you need. Let us know what you want to hear at Donovan Bennett, at he who knocks. Make sure you put the underscore in there at H E underscore who knocks. Uh, Producer Pete quickly erased his social media because he didn't want me to promote it. It was also wrong. Oh, <laughs> well, now we'll put you on the spot. What's your social media, Producer Pete? Put it out there I'm for not, people. I, okay. I, 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 we have, we have I, a meeting I, later today deciding the way too early power rankings that the Montreal Alouettes then gave us hell for all season when they won the Great Cup after being ranked Yikes. last. And I do have a vote in that, so I'm not going to put my social media out there. <laughs> 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 Must be the witness protection program. <laughs> he doesn't want to be seen. We're going to make you a star, Producer Pete. Uh, and we're going to do that via YouTube. Subscribe for the podcast clips listen on spotify or apple or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast make sure you share with your friends and get online google producer pete we need to bring him uh, to the forefront he's we, the real we star might need show. to get a camera here too so he can see producer pete i think our youtube ratings will go up i think so too, <laughs> I think so too. that's been the waggle thanks for listening <laughs>